You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome back to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. I'm Charles Kelso, and it's my privilege to introduce the Earth Station Trek crew, Keith Johnson. Hailing frequencies open. Veronica Daschle. Hi. And Matt Sweatman. Hello. How's everybody? Hey, welcome back to the show, Matt. Hey, Matt. Oh, thank back. you. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Matt gives a lot of feedback and a lot of great suggestions. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. And cracks wise about me and continuity. <laughs> and I found myself complaining about the Orville not meeting Star Trek continuity for some reason, but that's <laughs> love it. All right, Veronica, you had some news this week. I do. Um, so Humble Bundle, which is a company that like bundles either like ebooks or games or um, software together and donates the funds towards whatever um charity charity there we go that's the word um they just have released a star trek one it's mm-hmm. a bunch of different star trek books mostly about star trek ships the book of grudge is also in there though no. so and um yeah. it goes into delves in deep on some of them into the various series um the kind of uh 90s trek series this uh, is digital, right? This is this is books. all digital, yes. Which is a small downside for me because I like flipping through them in a hard copy. Looking through them in a digital mm. version is not quite as exciting for me. No. But um, they always have great deals. Um, there's a minimum you have to give to get a certain number. There's, I think, 22 books mm. in the full collection, but you can give less and get fewer books, or you can give more. Um, the minimum, like I said, for the for all the ones that they have there is 25. The suggested amount for all of them is 30. Um, and this is 30 bucks for, I mean, roughly how many books? 22. That's pretty good. That's not, that's, yeah. that's the hard price to beat. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, even those books, if you were buying them in digital versions, they're going to be yeah. and where that people, much each. Where do people find <laughs> yeah. this? Um, Humble Bundle. So okay. just, I think it's humblebundle.com, but if you do a Google search for it, it'll, it'll pull up. They always have a lot of um, really great deals on there on all kinds of different stuff. Awesome. All right. And Keith, did you have some This Week in Trek this week? I did. We're going to do this quickly because we got a lot to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, just three I really wanted to highlight. Um, I say this all the time. I love it when people were born a long time ago. <laughs> 5th of June, 1905. Um, let's see. Well, what it seems to, what you seem to be saying, Captain, is I have a choice of dealing with the Klingons or have a choice of dealing with you. Mm. Give us another one. Okay, and continue. This will give it away. As I stand here, I also stand on the home planet of the Klingons oh. <laughs> and the home planet of the Federation. Is that John Abbott? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Full name, John Abbott Chamberlain Kefford. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Born in 1905, June 5th. Whew. Wow. Yeah. Elborn in Errand of Mercy, the famous episode that not only introduced the Klingons, but introduced Kor. Mm-hmm. John Colicos, who some say is the best Klingon of all. I go with Kang. Mm. I love Kor on DS9. I'll say that. I love <laughs> yes. 
I, I, I'm glad that Core is being more remembered for the positive portrayal on DS9 than um, the fact that he was a guy in brown face. Agrees. <laughs> oh, good point. <laughs> yeah, he he needed the the, the full makeup to kind yeah. of make that less embarrassing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, also on June 5th, 1928, another really easy one, humans and Vulcans together. Captain Kirk, you're from the future. <laughs> yep, that is Gary Seven. <laughs> yeah. Robert Lansing in the yep. great episode, uh, Assignment Earth, mm-hmm. um, which was a failed pilot for a, another series in which um, Gary Seven and Roberta Lincoln, played by Terry Garr, would have had all kinds of wacky adventures in the 20th century. Didn't make it. I kind of would have liked it because I love Robert Lansing's portrayal as Gary Seven. Um, some people don't like the episode, but I love his portrayal. Mm. And of course, we have those people back in Picard. His people. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. which is exciting. Yes. Um, uh, one more for um, June 6, 1944. That's not a birthday, but I just wanted to mention this. On June 6, 1944, a lot of people may know that James Duhon, mm. Scotty, was um, served in World War II. Mm-hmm. And on that day, June 6, 1944, which is a really critical day, James Duhon um, suffered six bullet wounds, mm. including the one that tore off most of his right middle finger. Yeah. And if you look very closely in some episodes of Star Trek, you can see that he doesn't have that finger, but it's very hard because mm-hmm. it's, it's not often shown. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, I mean, it's a heck of a sacrifice that he made. That's something definitely worth remembering. Yeah. I'm going to run through this real quickly because I'm not going to do anything because uh, there's so, so many. Also, June 6, 1955, Gary Graham, who played Saval on Enterprise. Mm-hmm. June 6, 1963, Jason Isaacs, who played Gabriel <laughs> Lorca. June 7, 1972, Carl Urban. This is how many people were bored all these times. Yeah. June 8th, 1936, James Darren from Deep Space Nine. Yeah. And June 8th, uh, 1939, I just got a list of Bernie Casey, mm. who played Benjamin Sisko's friend Cal Hudson, who became a Marquis. I love him because he starred in the black exploitation film Trouble Man. <laughs> and for those who remember, he was the leader of the Gargoyles in the classic movie Gargoyles. No, okay. From the, uh, the early 1970s. Yeah. You never noticed that was him. And I, I'm going to throw one in if you don't mind. Okay. I never do this. Of course. But George Wallace, his birthday would have been this week. And George Wallace was one of the actors who played Commando Cody back in the 50s, which is one of the big wow. inspirations for Captain Proton. But also, yeah. he played an admiral in a Next Generation episode, Man of the People. Uh, they brought him back for a little cameo because he was, uh, he's Commando Cody. You know, he's, mm-hmm. and I, I love when uh, old school sci fi and modern sci-fi and then also he had a small role in forbidden planet so i just love when those old school actors yes. make a little appearance on what i well i it's not modern star trek anymore we had to start calling it something else <laughs> right and that's this week in trek history awesome we'll take a quick break to promote a fellow eso network podcast show and then when we come back we'll be getting into our discussion topic so stay right there It was the dawn of another podcast. The Epsilon 3 is a dream given form. It's a home away from home for three guys to watch a 90s sci-fi classic TV show. Three guys with microphones over 3,249 miles apart, all alone in the night. The year is 2021. The name of the station is Babylon 5. The name of the podcast is the Epsilon 3. Veer, bring me a drink. 
right. So this week we have Matt on with us um, and Matt had brought a really interesting proposal for, for a question of the week, but we thought we'd make a good, just full discussion topic for the show. So Matt, do you want to tell the folks what we're talking about this week? Uh, certainly. We always think of Gene Roddenberry's impact on the show. Obviously, he's a looming figure over the entire history, but sometimes the show has veered further away from his ideas and sometimes it's come back. Um, everybody, I think, accepts that Star Trek, the motion picture is probably the purest form of his vision. But I was interested more in which series best exemplifies his vision and maybe which ones we steered away the most from that idea. Mm. And the thing that jumped out me most about the question, too, is it really depends on how, what you interpret as Gene's vision. Right. A person could say scantily clad women and merchandising was Gene's vision. And there's <laughs> a lot of evidence to back that up. I mean, different people have different interpretations of that. So, I, yeah, I thought it would be interesting to see what everybody first off thinks of Gene's vision and then which show really exemplifies it for you and which doesn't. And Matt, what, what, would, what would your answers to those questions be? Well, I, I think of more as his uh, his vision, his idea, and I tend to take a more of an optimistic view. Yeah, I mean, we got the practical side of it. I mean, the show was short-sighted when it comes to maybe uh, sexual equality and such like that. But I, I think we can extend it to include uh, racial, uh, sexual identity politics, all of that. I think we can we can extend it to... Um, his idea has now the broadened the definition of it. So I, I tend to I tend to take a more expansive view of his vision, more of an optimistic view of it. Okay. And which show do you think that exemplifies it the best? I think Star Trek: The Next Generation. Okay. Um, um, even though it did fall short by modern standards, I, I think at least when it started, it certainly wanted to show human society as being something different, inherently mm. different than what we understand it now. And that's something that Gene always pushed for. And in, in in, when you read the novelization of Star Trek The Motion Picture, which I know he didn't write it, but it still has a lot of his, his views in there. And obviously his influence was heavier in the first couple of seasons, which are yeah. not necessarily considered the best, but I still think it sort of maintained at least the ideals that he stood for. And I think that best exemplifies it amongst the series. Okay. And what about the least? I've been going back and forth between Deep Space Nine and Voyager for this. Mm -hmm. You know, Deep Space Nine is, <laughs> is my favorite. But I think with Voyager, you did have McKee, which I think was very much an anti-Roddenberry idea because he would not have liked the idea of humans conflicting with the Starfleet's mission. And I think mm -hmm. the McKee being represented in Voyager, not that there was a whole lot of conflict on the show. It was pretty much just set up. But I don't think any of them are a gross you know, far away from his idea. But I think Voyager probably exemplifies it the least. Mm. You know, it occurred to me, Matt, one thing you could think of with the Marquis is um, while Gene didn't like conflict amongst his his uh, primary racism, you could also say he might have supported the Marquis because they, what they thought they were freedom fighters, uh, depending on how you define the Marquis. Because there's a whole bunch of people who say the Marquis were, you know, really they should have just gotten off the planet because it was, after all, it was a legal peace treaty. But there are those who say the Maquis were really an abused and oppressed people, very similar to one of the last episodes of The Next Generation, the one where, I mean, why am I blanking on it? But the one where Wesley comes back and there's a planet of Native Americans. It's at Journey's End. Journey's End, right. Yeah. And there are those who say that the Maquis were really freedom fighters because just like those people and just like indigenous peoples throughout history, they are just, they become pawns in big games and it's not right. Mm. And so he might might have supported the idea of the Maquis, but maybe not um, a crew that argues all the time. I don't know how he would have felt about the Maquis. Mm. And yeah, I think that, I mean, you mentioned DS9 as well. I think there's, yeah, there's a lot of things in that 
by by that point, I think the conflict between the characters was something that Gene really wasn't into, you know, which, yeah. Yeah. But I guess, I mean, too, is, is what year of Gene's vision, because Gene of the <laughs> 1960s had no problem with the, the, I mean, he created Spock and McCoy, like they were at each other's throats all the time. Yeah, I think 60s uh, Gene Roddenberry was coming from a, a 60s television viewpoint, but yeah. I think uh, after the show went off the air, they had all the conventions, and he became uh, influenced by the science fiction at the time. I think his ideas of what he could do with Star Trek kind of expanded a little bit. And I think that's reflected in when it came back with the motion picture and next mm -hmm. generation. Yeah. Sort of the gurufication of Gene in the seventies when he became very much like a public speaker and going to college campuses and was selling himself as the man with the vision, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think what you said, Charles is really, is a good point because I think uh, there's two things. I think Gene's vision, whatever we call that, change drastically over the years and also mm -hmm. think perhaps some of our visions and how we react to gene's vision change for example i growing up love a lot of what gene said because you said he, he had a future that where racial tolerance was was there where there was no more war no more hunger um sexual identity wasn't as big of an issue even though he was a little on the sexist side and i agreed with that but by the time you're right by the time we got to tng and even some of the movies I find myself leaving behind the way Gene had evolved because some people may not know, but in the next generation, there's an episode about a young boy whose mother gets killed. Um, and I keep like on the names. It's the one where the young boy's mother dies and then he starts seeing visions of his mother. And it turns out that the boy's mother was killed by what was all practical purposes, a landmine left on a, on a war on an alien planet. And the aliens on the planet, which were incorporeal, basically conjured up visions of the boy's mother to try to comfort him. Well, one of the things about the episode that literally makes almost <laughs> no sense. <laughs> yeah. Literally, one of the things about the show that makes almost no sense is for most of the show, the boy is in his quarters by himself, which is why this ghost lady keeps showing up. Yeah. And that was an example. That was an example of how Gene felt. And Gene said this. He felt that even death in the future wouldn't impact people like it does us because we would have matured as a race. Mm. So even a child losing his parent would just be able to deal with it better. Yeah. Um, so he he seemed to have thought in some ways we would leave behind what I consider to be normal human emotions, honestly, in a lot of ways. You're right. And it's why Riker and Troy had a very interesting relationship. He kind of felt that almost this almost this thing of just having um, um, monogamous relationships would be kind of gone. Mm. And he really felt not only that people wouldn't have conflicts, but he almost seemed to think humanity would have turned a corner where we didn't have those baser emotions. And back to your point, the original series was all about, we were chock full of the base emotions. We were mm -hmm. just controlling them. Kirk would say, today I will not kill, but I wanted to kill. By Picard's time, he honestly felt that humans wouldn't have those base feelings and instincts and i completely disagree with him yeah. i hate to be negative i don't think we're going that far that fast yeah well it's <laughs> even in the original pitch for the original series was mm -hmm. that essentially it was saying the year could be 1995 it could be 2995 but it's far enough in the future that space travel is commonplace but that humans right. are still humans essentially that right. actual human beings are still the same because that's where the drama comes from there's Absolutely. no drama in somebody whose parents dies and they don't care <laughs> you <Absolutely>. know <laughs> right all right, Veronica, what do you what do you think? What do you, what do you think Gene's vision is and what do you think exemplifies it the best and what do you think exemplifies it the least? So, uh, my thought of Gene's vision was um humans doing their best to help other humans and do the right thing as as much as possible. There are other little things in there that I can't articulate, but that was the like the primary thing in my mind okay. when I was thinking about that. And 
insofar as which series uh, did it the least, it's going to be DS9 because there were so many, (laughs) because there were so many humans that were literally just, (laughs) and it's not the the aliens because obviously the aliens are not humans, but there were so many humans and admirals and just like messing with people just because they could and because they wanted more power. Mm. Um, uh, DS9 is my favorite series. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. But um, insofar as what I've seen of, of what I think Jane's vision is, that one exemplified at the least. Um, I was initially thinking of Voyager when I thought of which one exemplified it the most, just mm-hmm. because a lot of those characters genuinely did try to do what they thought what they thought was right, whether it was right or not, they tried to do what they thought was right. And when Matt brought up the Maquis, I was like, oh yeah, that's right. Um, but I think again like everyone else was saying they were trying to do what they thought was right. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it was bucking against the, the current authority, which was unfortunately also the Federation, but, <laughs> but also primarily the Cardassians. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, yeah, DS9 and Voyager. Okay. For me. So you think Voyager exemplifies Gene's vision the most and DS9 the least? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Well, well, I think Deep, I think Deep Space Nine was set up that way. It was yeah. deliberately created in a scenario where they could create conflict. Well, if humans can't be in conflict, let's bring in all these other races so we mm-hmm. can have that conflict and that drama. So I think it was a kind of a deliberate decision mm-hmm. to make yep. it different. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Yeah, and DS Nine didn't shy away from bad morals. I mean, there's always been bad morals in Star Trek, but <laughs> yeah, you know, in DS Nine, they're like planning a coup on Earth. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah. Everybody, yeah. For, everybody forgot about that. Right after yeah. That. Right. And I think I think those are the things he wouldn't like because in the original series, most of the captain in the original series, there weren't any true bad admirals as in they were evil. They were just uh, the, the Federation representatives, the diplomats and admirals were just incompetent or just ridiculously strict. Like I think of Ambassador Fox mm-hmm. or or the ambassador in the deadly years who. Kirk called the chairbound paper pusher who took control of the enterprise and instantly when Rama's attack goes, what do I do? What do I do? I mean, he completely is out of his depth. Yeah. But I think about the gene who, who hated the undiscovered country. He hated that movie. He hated the concept of that movie because it was Federation admirals engaged in a conspiracy to make sure there was no peace. And he hated the concept of that movie. Yeah. Uh, he, it was, it, it was against everything he believed in. And I do think the way he felt and the way he evolved. I, th- I, th- I think the Space Nine is probably going to be the one that would be least according to what he believes. And all I got to do is say four words in the pale moonlight. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, I mean, Cisco is complicit in murder in that episode. There's just no other way to say it. And then we find out Admiral Ross, who I funnily think is the best Admiral I've ever seen, <laughs> but Admiral Ross is hanging out with Section 31 as yeah. a necessary evil, which even Bashir is outraged by. Yeah. And Gene would have hated Section 31. I mean, mm-hmm. he just he just would have hated it. Um, back when I was saying, I don't agree a lot of Gene's vision, some of the things that Gene didn't agree with, for example, is Gene never allowed the Federation to have a cloaking device because he said it was just morally reprehensible for the Federation to have a cloaking device. Mm. And I think I said once on here, if there were really three principalities, like the Klingons, Romans, and the Federation, and two of them have cloaking devices, the Federation would not stand. It yeah. could not stand. Yeah. They would have overridden them in like a week. <laughs> yeah, invisible <laughs> ships from two different powers showing up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Well, I think that um, it's, be- it's, it's better to say that I like his ideals mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. humanity 
but mm-hmm. not necessarily where he imagined humanity would be or, or best explore those ideals, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Because he felt we were, he really felt by, the, by Picard's time, we would be perfect, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the thing. He really felt that there was not, and I know, and this is a, and this is a horrible, horrible, horrible thing to say. But when he stepped back and he stepped back, well, one, he had stepped back because of uh, you know, some studio stuff, but he stepped back because he basically started getting ill and started dying. Um, they were freed up a little more when Gene wasn't involved. Now, Rick Berman held on to his vision a lot. Rick Berman fought with Michael Piller and Iris Stephen Bear with things like Deep Space Nine. And the only reason Deep Space Nine became what Deep Space Nine was because Rick Berman went on to do Voyager. So it's right. so funny. <laughs> But a lot of the writers, evidently, Berman and Ronald D. Moore fell out over Moore and others saying, you've, you've got to let go of Gene's vision. You're being mm-hmm. too strict on us. We can't write any conflict like this. Mm-hmm. So it, it's very interesting, uh, I think, how that went on. So I, I do think that Gene's evolved final vision. I agree with what you said, Matt. He went to, I think he thought we were going to go too far toward protection, to perfection too quickly. Mm-hmm. So, Keith, it sounds like you're agreeing that DS9 exemplifies it the least. Am I getting that right? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think so. So what do you think exemplifies it the most? I got to go with the same one Matt said, was just the, the next generation. Okay. Because I think about in, in the original series, the space amoeba mm-hmm. and the Horta, even though he did, um, Kirk and them would kill real fast if they had to. <laughs> you know, yeah. if, if, if they had to kill the cloud creature, the, the, the vampire, the, the, the creature that sucked the blood in the series of uh, episode Obsession, which yeah. is one of my favorite. The Dichronium cloud creature. Exactly. They killed. Yeah. And then by the time Next Generation, the car is like, oh, we need to talk to the Silicon Avatar, even though it's wiped out several planets because <laughs> it may be sentient. Kirk would have blasted that thing out of the sky. <laughs> <laughs> That's just truth. <laughs> and so I think by then, um, I think by then they, he, they, they really kind of crystallized his view of, of trying not to kill and trying to be kind of perfect. Mm. And I think... I think that's one reason I like Kirk more because the whole point behind the original series was Kirk was always saying, look, I, I got all this stuff. Like in that, and again, in a private, in a taste of Armageddon, he says, we have a million years of evolution behind us, but we're not going to kill today. And then by Picard's time, Picard wouldn't even think to kill other than that crazy episode conspiracy. So they blew Remick's head off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was trying to think of like how I would distill Gene's vision. Like what is the, just the, the the briefest summation of it, you know, like the simplest version of what Gene's vision is, because there's so much of Gene over all right. the years that he was involved. And I remember Absolutely. when I was a kid and I was watching an interview with Gene and he and he said that what Star Trek is about is the entire human race reaching out into the universe together. Yes. And yeah. that really stuck with me. And I, mm-hmm. and I think that's a, a promise that we've not yet fulfilled. Right. We still are working to for Star Trek to represent the entire human race. But I think that the series that does that the best, I would say, is Star Trek Discovery. And I love that Mm. Discovery has made it a point of their show to really focus in on the diversity of not just different ethnicities, not just in the fact that they have, you know, a a black female lead and who's now the captain. um, But you get a lot of, you know, people who are gay, people who are trans, people who are non-binary. I think better than any other Star Trek show ever has of trying to show just the gamut of human experiences and making them a crew and a family. And I think in particular in the last couple of years, they've really geared their storylines around understanding and connectivity. And you, know, you, you resolve conflicts by 
understanding and reaching out and establishing communication. And I love that. So I'm going to say that I think Star Trek Discovery exemplifies Gene's vision the best to me, which isn't to say it's perfect. And I've certainly been critical of Discovery over, over the years, but I think they just do a great job of that. And I love that that is seems to be just like a, such a strong principle in Star Trek as a franchise now that really promoting that diversity. And I think that they're doing a great job of that. Yeah, I think um, the show is now taking the lead in trying to be diverse. Mm-hmm. I think in the past, they were always kind of playing catch up a little bit, uh, mm-hmm. especially, and I mentioned that even at the time of the 90s series, they seem to never want to show any gay or lesbian no. uh, characters. Uh, but in the time, I think it would have been a great thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um but now I think they're, they're 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 being ahead of the game a little bit, and I think they're taking the lead. Now I really like. Yeah. Conversely, I think the the series that does it the worst to me, as far as that why that interpretation of Gene's vision is Enterprise, because Enterprise I just felt like as far as representation is such a huge step back from what Star Trek had accomplished up to that point, and you're back to you've got a couple of token minority characters, and then the rest of the cast is white, and the minority characters they're not developed. I mean, Mayweather and Hoshi, I mean, you're, you're back to like a Hura and Sulu level of development on the TV show. Right. And, and, and admittedly Star Trek, the original series is my favorite TV show of all time, but I mean, enterprise was 35 years later. I mean, we were past the point where you should have the black guy in the crew, the Asian lady in the crew who barely get <laughs> lines. You know what I mean? So I think that that felt like, especially after coming through things like DS nine felt like such a huge step back to me. And we've talked about it on the show before that they were doing, you know, they would do a, a show about it's a, like an analogy for you know, being accepting of, of gay people and not discriminating against gay people. And yet there's not a gay person on the show. No, there's no gay characters right. allowed. And this is, I mean, up to 2005, by 2005, it wasn't controversial to have a gay person on television. You know what I mean? Like the shows have been doing that for 20 years at that point. And I'm not saying that that I hate Enterprise. I'm just saying that I think that Enterprise felt very regressive to me for a Star Trek series for the when it came out. And um, I'm I'm really glad that Star Trek as a franchise is course corrected from that. I agree 100%. Even though I, I love Enterprise, I agree with you. Those things do rub me the wrong way. Travis Mayweather, uh, you can count literally the number of episodes where he's laid up sick mm-hmm. or injured. Um, Hoshi is played off, honestly, as a, honestly, as an Asian stereotype, very timid mm-hmm. kind of person at the start. And T'Pol is sexualized, strangely, mm-hmm. which she doesn't need to be. You're right. And that way it feels regressive. And even though, again, I like the show a lot, yeah. but I will agree with you, it it. it it did seem like they went backwards in strange ways with that episode, with that series. Yeah. It seems to me that at least the first few episodes that I've seen, they're really trying to establish their big three, like Kurt Spock and McCoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we see that, we see that through uh, Tucker sort of is a surrogate McCoy in this scenario. And of course, to Paul being the Vulcan and, and Captain mm-hmm. Archer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think what you said about discovery is very telling because one of the things we hear all the time about shows and movies is, is it Star Trek and does it uh, lean toward Gene's vision? Mm -hmm. And I sometimes think it's hard to put that in a box. I think that sometimes even if some people said the least Star Trek episode of all time is actually sitting on the edge of forever because it doesn't have a moral meaning or a message. But I sometimes think what you said about reaching together, I sometimes think just telling a story in a future where we didn't kill each other (laughs) and we're all getting along is Star Trek, and that's Gene's vision. It doesn't have to have a huge moral. You can tell a crappy story in that future, and the fact that we're alive and healthy and have great technology, that's Gene's vision come alive. Yeah, yeah, and, and all working together. Yeah, right. You know, Absolutely. people who historically would have been enemies are are a crew. Right. You know, and I love that. Absolutely. 
All right, well, let's take a quick break to promote a fellow ESO Network podcast show. And then when we come back, we'll be talking about the latest episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. So stay right there. Comic-Cons are back and fans are ready. Hear all about it on The Con Guy Show, where we keep you up to date on all the events, the movies, the people, and the conventions that drive your passions and feed your fandom. Straight from the nerdy heart of Hollywood, California, we are proud members of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. All right. <laughs> and that is spoilers for Star Trek Strange New Worlds. <laughs> Does anybody have the title written down? Yes. <laughs> Lift us where suffering cannot reach. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I have to write it down. I love the long titles, but they are harder to remember on the phone. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I mean, for me, it was very Star Trek. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was. Yeah. I thought so too. Yeah. What, whatever I think. Good. Good episode. Um, I kind of figured out where it was going which is not bad but that's because we've all probably seen way too many television shows and too many science fiction shows (laughs) i will say that jumping all the way to the ending i was surprised that they took it where they took it because a lot of shows even now wouldn't do that with a child and definitely wouldn't have done that in early uh track that caught me off guard Mm -hmm. i will say and Um, and the the showing of what will happen yeah that was that was wild yeah Mm -hmm. Matt, how have you been enjoying Strange New Worlds up to this point? Oh, it's been a blast. Almost uh, universally every episode. Um, I was a little taken aback by the humorous, um, you know, nature of the last episode. Mm. <laughs> but I, I see now why they needed to have that humorous episode, considering kind of the heavy themes we had this week. Um, you don't like hijinks? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I didn't say I didn't like it necessarily. It just it was uh, definitely a change. It definitely was a bit of a jarring change from the previous four. Yeah. 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 Well, I love that. I love that. I mean, you, you go from this like submarine intense battle and then the next episode, it's like a lighthearted body swap romantic comedy. You know, like <laughs> yeah. I, I love I love when Star Trek does that, you know. Like they, they they would take a break out of the Dominion War to all play baseball in the Hollow Suite, <laughs> you know, like that sort of thing. And when wow. you have it, and when you have an episodic series versus serialized, it's easier to do that. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. One thing that's going on in the plot that I actually am liking so far is I'm liking this thing where Uhura is rotating departments and duties. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really enjoying that a lot because yeah. it's yeah. it's something yeah. I would think the Ensigns would do, and yeah. they wouldn't just like be deciding right out of um, Star. Uh, Starfleet Academy that this is what I'm going to do. I mean, some of them obviously would have that, mm-hmm. but yeah, not all of them. And having the rotation, even if you already know, you don't ever know what you're actually going to find out you enjoy. Surprise. <laughs> yeah, I was a little surprised to see her firing the ship's phasers, but hey. <laughs> well, it also accomplishes, it allows uh, her to interact with a different crew member each time, mm-hmm. too. So yeah. she would get a sense of how she had uh, her command chemistry with different characters. Yeah. 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 It's also consistent with Uhura because we saw in the original series, she can take the helm when she needs to. She can yeah, take navigation absolutely. when she needs to. Yeah. You know, like she's ready to step in. I mean, and you need that mm-hmm. uh, on a starship. You need for your crew members to all be able to, 
you know, oh no, the helmsman just blew up. Somebody jump on the helm, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know I think enough the, to navigate just, a crisis. He just got hit by rocks. Somebody take over the Yeah. <laughs> and they, no, the no, you got a red shirt. <laughs> you, can't, you can't drive a ship. You got a red shirt. Get out of the seat. And you know, it's funny. I'm glad you said that, Charles, because the original series did that better than anybody. Because remember, people would get up and somebody would just get in their chair mm-hmm. and some, and, uh, Yeoman Rand also took the helm back in the original series, as well as Uhura. And then I was thinking about that by Next Generation, even though Troy was a was promoted to lieutenant commander and she was considered a bridge officer, which is weird because she was a medical scientist. She didn't know anything about anything in the episode where the ship was um, damaged. Mm-hmm. Um, and she wasn't really good for commanding that because she didn't know anything about what she was talking about. So I do like the fact that they were that they're showing Uhura with the rotations. And also it's weird is I keep trying not to like La'an because the whole Condonian thing thing. Um, she's working. I mean, her her portrayal could be kind of a one note, you know, overly serious, uh, genetically engineered, well, descendant of Khan. But I'm liking it for some reason. She's making it work. So when yeah. she's like a hard ass on Uhura and, and it's working. And then when Pike's like, yeah, yeah, she's got all those rules that you got to learn. Uh, <laughs> so far it's working. So yeah. I, I like the way it started out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. She's not like Khan Jr. She's not right. like um, Alara from or- Orville. Like, you know, she's not the mm-hmm. one opening pickle jars and things, you know, yes. I, I love that. It's just part of her backstory. So I, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm okay with that. I was a little nervous about that character coming into the show. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. So what do we think about the, uh, I mean, we got a planet again, which I mean, it's in the title, Strange New Worlds. We got a, our old flame of pikes coming onto the ship. I mean, it's throwback. Yeah. <laughs> I love that he's very, like, all shucks. Like, he's very yeah. awkward. <laughs> yeah. Elaine and I had just seen the Enterprise episode. Um, uh, what was it? Oh, Breaking the Ice. Okay. Um, oh, no, 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 not Breaking the Ice. No, Civilization came after Breaking the Ice. And in mm-hmm. this one, we, uh, Archer got a chance to kind of romance one of the locals and he got in a fist fight. So I was saying, oh, he had his Captain Kirk moment. <laughs> in this yeah. episode, you have Pike in a planet side romance and you had him yeah. in a fist fight. So he had his Captain Kirk moment. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I was thinking Pike was maybe going to say, hey, we shouldn't do this. I'm going to go back to the ship. But boy, that sure didn't happen. <laughs> nope. <laughs> hey, man, he's in space a long time. <laughs> yeah. What I also like about this episode, it definitely felt like an original series episode. What I like about this episode is how incredibly alien their beliefs were and incredibly normal to them. She was like, this is horrible and we hate it. But unlike you guys, we don't look away from the suffering of this child that we created. And it's just so normal to her. And the whole time she said, hey, why don't you stay with us and hang out? You know, in a few years, we'll watch a little kid get put into whatever this torture is and we can be together. And it's just so normal to her. Yeah. And it's so alien to anybody else. Yeah. I love I love that aspect of it. Yeah. Have you ever read the Ursula K. Le Guin story, Those Who Walk Away from Omelas? No. I think that, that I think is the inspiration for this episode. Ah, because okay. it's about the city of Omelas that's mm-hmm. like a paradise. I mean, there's mm-hmm. no religion, no capitalism, orgies. You know, like everyone's having a great time. But the trade-off is that there's one child in a dungeon room that lives in squalor and pain and everyone knows about it and then people come to see the child but no one helps it because that would helping that child would end like the the greatness of omelas and wow. so it's and it's a very it's very short it's uh mm-hmm. it's like four pages long or something but mm-hmm. it's uh wow. that, it's one of those stories that you read and it sticks with you because there's the people who live in omelas and there's the people who walk away from omelas but nobody helps yeah. that kid uh yeah i mean she made a good point in this episode that i mean like our society today exists because of the suffering of children 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like I, I can stop by five below and buy, buy a $5 t-shirt and that t-shirt's $5 because the people who made it are paid starvation wages and their kids right. live in squalor. But I still don't want to pay $50 for a t-shirt. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> exactly. but, it, but it's easy to look at this and be like, well, I can't believe these people would let that kid just be tortured. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? But we've got I a million can. of them. Yeah. Yeah. Know? And that's, that's an age old concept that even goes back to ancient times. There's the concept of one person paying for the sins of the people. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a concept. You probably know the concept of the sin eater. Okay. There's the concept of the sin eater that that's an old concept. When somebody died, that another person would be chosen who literally would eat a feast in front of the body, mm. and that person would absorb all the sins of that person. It was a, right. there's a great night gallery about that. Okay. And then that person could go to heaven because all the sins just got taken by somebody else. Yeah. And I've you know, and I've read all kinds of things where yeah, one person is sacrificed. And that person takes on the sins of the entire planet. And then that horrible episode in the next generation where Tasha Yar died, even um, Armus, that oil slick creature, was supposedly the, the total negative emotions and of an uh, entire people mm-hmm. so that they went on to be pers- basically perfect. Right. And so I, I, even though it was a science fiction angle, I thought it was very interesting. You're right. That child somehow paid for that child suffered so that they could um, they could have a great um, utopia. And I actually wasn't even mad about they don't even know what happened. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's Star Trek. I, they're like, we don't know. It, somebody built this machine and it works and we don't know why or who or what the heck happened. That line when she said our founders set it up this way, we don't know why. And yeah. that just made me think. I mean, on the one hand, you could say, well, that's easy. That's a yeah, uh, that's cheap. But on right. the other hand, I mean, if, if, if this society say they had uh, an epidemic of gun violence. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't fix it because their founders had written written down the sacred paper 300 years ago that it can't be yep. fixed. And you'd say, right. "Oh, what a what a ridiculous science fiction story!" <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? And yet here, I mean, that's us. <laughs> you know what absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I, I I love that. I thought that use of the word founder I think was very specific there. Yeah. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean that that I think that rings true. Yeah, and it's also very interesting because you could also think of weird things like, you know, this, there's the innocence of a child. There's the fact that a child is more pliable, such as children can learn languages better than adults because their brains are still, uh, yeah, they're, they're more plastic. The brains are more plastic than ours. There's even things like Ender's Game where they use children because children weren't as locked in the ways of thinking, which is why children were fighting a war against the bugs. So mm-hmm. I thought that that actually worked and it made it all the more horrific. Um, mm-hmm. But for the fact, like you said, she said the founders did it and we don't know why. Um, and I thought it was very, now she said their planet was covered with lava and stuff. I guess she was just saying that's its natural state. Did we see anything like that? Cause it yeah. looked like it was a paradise. Well, the paradise looks like it's above the lava. So any, any of those shots where if you look down un, like yeah. beneath the city, you can see the lava. So it's kind of like a, a stratos situation where this uh, okay. the city is sort of levitating above the lava fields. That's why she said it would fall. Right. Okay, that makes yeah. sense because I thought I saw an image of lava, but then I didn't understand what she was saying. Yeah. Wow. And it's also now the difference, I think, with this episode between this one and the original series is Kirk would have found a way to blow the hell out of that society. And he <laughs> he would have lect- blown that machine up at the yeah. end. <laughs> he would have. And he would have lectured the hell out of them. And this is what Kirk would have done. He would have he would have slept with the woman. He would have blown the hell out of that machine. He would have lectured the hell out of them. And then, as somebody has often said, there was no rearview mirrors on the Enterprise, and he would just left. <laughs> Good luck with the lava. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they might leave like one cultural observer to try to ha- handle the entire planet. Maybe yeah, or, or maybe he'd call day. that Prospect Planet and they like, right, send all your ships to rescue these folks because they're going to need to be pulled out of this lava. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. 
I was thinking up to the very end when the credits started, I said, well, wait a minute. Captain Pike hasn't saved the kid yet. Wait a minute. The episode's over? Right. Really? (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, it's poignant to end it that way. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't always just fix a planet in an hour. Exactly. But I mean, what I love about it, I mean, this, this, this episode didn't teach me anything about the world I didn't already know. But, you know, I got up this morning and watched it before work. And I found myself at work just thinking about all the different ways in which kids are suffering so that I can live my life. You know what I mean? Which I think is great. That's what science fiction should do. It just makes you reflect a little bit about the world. Um, how you interact with it and yeah. what you do, how it affects everything else. Yeah. Maybe well, I should that, look at the tags on the shirts before I buy them. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, that's a very Roddenberry idea is that, yeah. uh, okay, we're going to comment on current affairs, but we're going to do it through the lens of science fiction and through mm-hmm. different situations, which, which have a parallel. Yeah. So, which I think is, that's great. That's what Star Trek and, and sci-fi should do. Exactly. So how do we like the interplay between Alon, uh, I say Alon, I keep on calling her Alon, <laughs> La'on and Uhura. I mean, now we got to see Uhura sort of being her little shadow in this episode and, and taken under her wing. I really enjoyed watching the two of them interact. Yeah. I mean, I, I enjoyed um, Uhura in, um, oh, what's his name? Hammer. Hemmer. I enjoyed, I did enjoy um, Uhura and Hemmer a lot more, mm. um, but I really enjoyed Uhura and La'an uh, more than I expected I would. Yeah. I'm glad she stood up for herself and kind of held her own against the, more, the, the, the seemingly more experienced personality, mm-hmm. but she definitely held her own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, Celia Rose Gooding seems to have just good chemistry with everybody. <laughs> you know, everyone she's paired up with, they just, it's just like, oh yeah, these two are great together. And, and don't feel bad, Veronica, about forgetting Hemmer's name because he's only in like half of the episode so far. I know. What's going on with that? I don't know. He's doing better than Lieutenant Kirk right now. <laughs> That's, true. That's true. I was glad to see Kirk again, though. Mm-hmm. Briefly, briefly. Briefly. Yeah. He's, he's, he's conflict averse, which I guess <laughs> he and his brother are opposites <laughs> in <Yes>. that way. <laughs> I guess if you're conflict averse, you're not going to be one of the main characters in the TV show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what about uh, Dr. Mbanga and his daughter? Yeah, when that whole thing was brought up about these implants and we don't have any disease, I was like, hmm. Yeah, you see Mbanga light up. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Well, you, they had it in the uh, previously on, so you know if it's in the previously on, it's going to come into play. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I woke up a little bit late today, so I had to skip that, skip the intro, which I never do. I had to skip mm-hmm. a few things this morning and get straight into the episode. So. <laughs> Here's the thing. I like the Mbenga drama, but I don't get the Mbenga storyline. I think I said when this is for introduced, I don't know why he would take her on a ship wandering around the galaxy, assuming he'll one day reach... Uh, he'll bump into a planet that has the technology to heal her. Mm-hmm. And also originally, don't forget, he was hiding this from everybody, including the captain. I literally do not understand in that day and time, if he, even if it's not normal, if he had say, hey, guys, look, I found this amazing way. I can keep her in a transporter buffer and let her out every now and then. I literally don't understand why somebody on Earth, some medical facility wouldn't devote the power, the resources of the planet Earth, where he wouldn't have to worry about a power outage. Mm-hmm. And keep her on Earth and do that for him, even if he wants to go out into the galaxy. I, so I literally do not. That plot makes no sense to me. Yeah. Mm. That being said, I love when she appears and it breaks my heart. <laughs> and yeah. it's yeah. Re- it's emotionally powerful. Yeah. He's a great actor. She's an incredibly cute little girl. Mm-hmm. And what made the episode more horrific was I yeah, first I was kind of thinking there was also something really weird about the kid, the first servant, you know. Mm. But it turns out, no, he's just a bright kid. And then I remember they said he was chosen by lottery, which also should have been a clue. 
mm-hmm. was chosen by lottery to be the first servant. And it was cool. He was just a kid, just kind of hanging out. when He was just a super genius kid hanging out with her. Yeah. So I, I thought that was really, uh, really cool. Uh, I enjoyed that. I, I, so I don't understand the Mabinga, the Mabinga plot, but I do love the execution, which is, I know, contradictory. Yeah. So I did enjoy that. And that's that's a good uh, point about the kid being so bright. Like they, They're like, well, we mm-hmm. just can't find a solution to this problem. Like, that's probably because you're melting the brains of all the bright kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely. Absolutely. And that seems to be the thing because, yeah, because he's so bright, I guess. That, and, it, you know, it reminds me of so and nothing so much as Spock's brain, mm. where they had a planet that for some reason and reason we do not understand and make no sense had decided that the only way they could develop a technology to keep the planet going was to use a human brain. Mm. And, but you know, the original series, and that's what, this is such a throwback, the original series, whether it was Laundry or the Apple, the whole point of all these societies that Kirk would just overthrow is because Kirk's attitude and he would get mad is you haven't even tried. You know what I mean? It's like somebody gave you this solution millennia or centuries ago, and you're just happy with it because as we saw, I think Pike, if he could have, Pike was sure as hell about to violate the prime directive. He was going to save <laughs> that about kid. about to barrel out of there. And then yeah. She, oh, and he took her at her word when she said that uh, the kid will die if you try that. And he was like, oh, well, forget that then. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> then they then they knocked him out because I was thinking he was going to do something like get the you get the ship involved. I do a weird thing on those shows. I never look at the time. So I, know, mm. I don't know how much time I have left. So I was thinking, oh, he's going to get the ship. He's going to try to, he's going to transport that kid out and they're just going to take their chances even spock probably wouldn't you know it is the prime directive violation to save that kid but even spock wouldn't sit there i, I don't think he'd sit there and let a kid be tortured i think they all just sort of take in their their lumps yeah so i was amazed that uh that didn't happen yeah yeah and i feel the same outrage that kirk would have felt and that he felt because the first thing you'd ask is have you not tried and there's no it works why 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 change it because you know you've got centuries to come up with another power source mm-hmm. or another or you build your own ai computer yeah and that's what always pissed kirk off it's like you've gotten comfortable with this and kirk's thing was always i'm gonna shake you out of that comfort zone and you're gonna yeah. like it a lot <laughs> well, well the science is obviously very advanced and they're obviously yeah. very brilliant so yeah, I, yeah it, you can't come up like you said. It's it, not another power source to to not commit these atrocities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's be, because it's become it's become a belief system, mm-hmm. not just a science. Because let's let's say they took them five hundred years to find a solution, but they're not trying. Because mm-hmm. you know it's almost like a religion. It's their society. It's just kind of the way it is. You know. Yeah. And she um, said that she's been that they've looked and haven't been able to find a solution, but. Yeah, I wonder how much of that is like the way we look for solutions to some of our problems. Like, well, nothing can be done. <laughs> Absolutely. And Picard and Cisco and Janeway and Kirk and them would say, Prospect 7 seems to be livable, might suck, but it's livable. Why don't yeah. you just move there and give this paradise up? And I bet you a whole bunch of them say, but oh, but no, we can't do that. Well, if you could build a paradise on Lava Planet, surely you could build a paradise on Prospect <laughs> 7 also. Absolutely. I mean, you build a paradise hovering over lava fields. <laughs> <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah, I, that's the thing. And, 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 that's, and that's what I love about it. And that's what's maddening about it. And I know I've said Kirk about 10 times, but that was always what Kirk's thing was, was you have an option if you care to look for it. Like, but why? Like, like the Cloud City and, um, and um, the Cloud Minders. Same thing. They could have lived on the ground, but they didn't want to. You know, why? You know? Yeah. I had the same thought as you, though. And I mean, when she said, if she just said to Kirk, the boy will die if you take him out of the machine. He's like, well, better than living the way he's living. And Kirk yes. would have done it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Because this Absolutely. isn't life. 
Absolutely. And giving a speech. You call this life? (laughs) (laughs) I can see it. Yeah, Cisco just would have rescued the kid. He wouldn't even have had a speech. He was like, get the hell oh, yeah. out of the way. It would have taken more guards than that to take Cisco down. You know, that's right. Yeah. I can't think of a single starship captain that wouldn't violate the prime directive to save that kid and take in their lumps. Every one of them would have. Picard sure as heck would have. Yeah. Um, Janeway definitely would have. Yeah, it's just that's why I was just I was stunned at what happened. It was uh, my wife was watching it with me and she was again, we weren't looking at the time. and She said, wait, 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 is that it? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that that was bold. that was bold move. Honestly, well, that was I, really bold. Yeah, I think the ending on a poignant note yeah. is what they were going for mm-hmm. of. Mm-hmm. That this is still going on in the real world. Yeah. You know, leave you with that feeling walking away from the episode of something should have been done. Like, well, maybe you could look around the world. Maybe you could do something. (laughs) You know? Yeah. I can't believe Pike would leave that kid that way. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And then you go on about your life and not make any changes. Yep. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's a good point because in our own society, as we do this in 2022, if you go back a mere 100 years, which is not all that long, you had child labor. Mm-hmm. And you did not have 40-hour work weeks, even for adults. There's a lot of places and in the world now where that's the case. Yeah. Absolutely. You have kids who work 10, 11, 12, 14-hour days, and they get they make kids go into factories at 8, mm-hmm. 9, 10, 11 years of age. So that's very true. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, yeah, what she said was very poignant, which was, and it's weird. It's that thing where you're not, it's a morality we're not supposed to agree with. But her point is better one, and we're honest about it, than all the millions that you guys are dishonest about. Mm-hmm. That's not true. I mean, at least it shouldn't be, you know, we yeah. sh- it shouldn't be. But that's a thing that you have to think about because, and I like the fact that, and also what stunned me was when uh, Pike asked, would he suffer? And she said, yes, mm-hmm. which is why we don't look away. Yeah. I mean, wow. And she said, that's the only difference between us and you is that we don't look away. You look away. Yeah. <sighs> wow. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. I mean, this is, it's a, uh, it's action adventure story. Like you said, with some romance, there's some pew pew mm-hmm. in there. There's some daring do mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. just you know a commentary on our own society which i mean that's star trek absolutely yeah. uh let me ask you did y'all like it I it did. was uncomfortable did you like it i did yeah i yeah. enjoyed it a lot how about you matt i was still kind of going over how i felt about it i think it's extremely yeah. thoughtful thought-provoking yeah. well-written mm-hmm. but did i like it uh-huh. I'm not sure yet, honestly. Mm. It's, it's, that's that's good. That's that's yeah. and actually, I bet you the writers would be happy with that because yeah. sometimes you don't like it, but it stays with you. Yeah. Um, and you feel weird saying you might, you know, yeah, it, it's going to stay with me because. Um, and also, what got me, it's like um, I keep going back to original series. Isn't that funny? I keep going back to original series, but the taste of Armageddon. Mm-hmm. People kept walking those freaking disrupt the disruption chambers, and they were just like. They, you know, um, what's her name? The lady who Kirk saved, she said, my life is as precious to me as yours is to you, but it's our duty. And nobody seemed to hesitate. Yeah. What got me was when the was when the first servant, the child hesitated for a second when he saw the body being brought out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that threw me, too, because I was thinking they were going to make it really easy where he was so incredibly programmed by his upbringing that yeah. he never even thought about it. Mm-hmm. But he did. And that kind of threw me as well. Yeah, walking past the dead body of his predecessor did it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like oh crap, yeah. right? Yeah, and it should. Uh, yeah, and they didn't shy away from that either when Pike went and looked. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I don't know how much uh, any of y'all are familiar with video games, but Final Fantasy X has a mm-hmm. very similar plot. You find oh, really? out one, yeah, one of your characters in your party is this priestess who's being honored at every town she goes. 
But wow. there's a very somberness about her. She's destined yeah. to fight sin. And well, spoiler alert for a you know 20 year old video game. <laughs> uh, she you find out she is destined to sacrifice herself to prevent this worldwide catastrophe. Mm. And and of course, the main hero who you control is is determined to not to see find a way to solve everything without her having to sacrifice herself. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. The, the another thing I like about it is um as I said because of Star Trek it's wrapped up in a scientific need. They scientifically for some reason built the technology that needed a child's brain. But this really again goes back to kind of what you're saying that this goes back to human cultures that stretch back millennia whether it's the Maya um, there were towns in ancient Rome that held lotteries where pers- one person, there's actually a famous movie y'all may have seen from like the 1960s or 70s called The Lottery. Mm. It takes place in a small American town. Um, but yeah, it goes it's based back on to a short story, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so throughout human history, we've had that thing where you sacrifice one person to a deity or one mm. person to a volcano and it will bring you luck. The Maya sacrifice my God, so many of yep. their, and the Aztecs, so the Aztecs especially, so many of their women and children captors mm-hmm. all over the world for, for thousands of years, humans have sacrificed one or many for prosperity and for the favor of the gods. Right. Now, in this case, they gave it a scientific reason, but it's still the same thing. One person sacrifices for another. I'm going to say something really weird. Um, this is something that I th- I'd like to talk about. One of the days we talk about Vulcan logic or something. I may be the only person who has never liked that the exemplar of Vulcan logic is the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one or the few. I don't agree with that. No, no, I don't. Not not the way it's, it's often implicated. And this episode tonight reminded me of kind of that thing taken to the other side, mm. because the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one, and in that case, that child. And really, as moral beings, we should like to be able to tell ourselves that we would sacrifice all of ourselves rather than do that to one child. Right. And so that really got me thinking moralistically about that. I've never liked that needs of the many mm-hmm. outweigh the needs of the few or the one. Yeah. And tonight shows you an example of how that is just horrific. Well, I think that that phrase works when you're the one. When you're saying <laughs> yeah. that everyone's needs are more important than my own. Right. Whereas it, it goes back to the old the old joke of, you know, three wolves and a sheep voting on what's for dinner. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that, that, in that sense, yeah, it's a pretty, it'd be a right. pretty cruel uh, mantra. Yeah. Well, I think the moral point is a child is unable to make that sacrifice. Is unable to yep. make that decision. Now, right. in a, if you're talking about an adult, it's an entirely right. different proposition. Yeah. yeah. That's a very good point. I didn't think about it like that. Cause that child has no agency at all. Yeah. Not really. Um, one other thing, Matt, I don't know how many of y'all are parents. I'm not a parent. Um, but now that father's behavior is not only understandable, but you're stunned that he didn't freak out more. But that just shows you how much they're all indoctrinated because he was even at the end kind of questioning his own motives about saving his son. You, you know, say he kept going back and forth. Hmm. He's a father trying to save his kid, but he was also a product of a society for that for centuries. That's what you're raised to do. Yeah. And yeah. Wow. But even talk in, about tormented at the beginning when he said he's a child's father, only in the biological sense. Right. Like he like he didn't have that father connection. But even then, just he couldn't he couldn't do it. He couldn't yes. just give this kid up. Right. Which, uh, yeah, I, 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 I think, really enjoyed his performance and the kid. Mm-hmm. I thought the kid was great, too. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought there was that when we said that I, I, I sent some resentment. Like he mm-hmm. was, he was not happy with the situation at all. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm only the biological father. What rights do I have? 
Yeah. That's right. how I interpreted that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then you find out what's really going on. Yeah. I thought the same thing. I thought maybe he was upset because his son was going to be like a, I don't know, whatever, a God figure or something like that. And he was just mad because he was no longer important. And now you realize that his anger was masking his despair. Mm. Uh, I mean, you know what I wish I would. Now, the episodic nature sometimes hurts you. I sure as heck would like to see what's on Prospect 7. Yeah. What, what's yeah. there? I mean, who who's there? Is, is it criminals that they send? Is it people who oppose the system? They just Are, are the people who left the society voluntarily? Yeah. I think it's the people who walk away. Going back to the story, yeah. uh, the people who walk yeah. away from Omelas. I think it's the people mm-hmm. who can't live in this society, who just morally won't participate. Right, and now they're coming back and trying to rescue the kids. I mean, I'll, I if it was my kid and and Planet Earth was like, well, we need you to sacrifice your kid for Planet Earth. I'd be like, sorry, Planet Earth, <laughs> we're Absolutely. all going down together. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> and that's the thing for a society or a moral society. That's what it's supposed to be. We all should tell ourselves that we would never sacrifice one for others. Yeah, but how many of us truly would face with that? Would make yeah. that decision, and that's a tough one. Yeah, there was uh, a, a great. It's, it's Torchwood, but it's in the Doctor Who universe uh, mm-hmm. story called Children of Earth, which is one mm-hmm. of the uh, most poignant sci-fi stories I've seen in a long time that dealt with this sort of situation where these aliens came and they wanted children and then they, they would go away. And it was about our society and our politicians deciding what to do, basically. Wow. Whether to give up this X number of kids or mm-hmm. face extinction. That's a, that's a tough one. That's it a it is. One. It, it's, it's a tough one to watch, too. Um, last thing I'll say, because I know I'm talking a lot, but it made me think so much. Um, we've been talking about when someday we'll do a prime directive episode. Yeah. You know, if you think about it, it, I hate to say it, in a lot of ways, the prime directive is shown throughout all the Star Trek. It's been difficult. It's been thought provoking, but it's never been as gut wrenching, I think, as something like this. Because if you think about it, truly, the prime directive also means that when they visit a planet where there is slavery, now we talk about, you know, they had a little thing with the Ferengi where the women couldn't wear clothes and hold jobs. And back then everybody thought that was funny. Ah, ha, ha, look at that. But think about the fact that they probably, they would go to planets where there are slaves, like the Roman planet in the original series, but real slavery, yeah. like not, America slavery, when, back when my ancestors were enslaved. And the mm-hmm. Prime Directive, they would have to not do anything about it. And right. you might say, maybe they, maybe they have rules in the Federation where they don't treat with planets that have slavery. But if you need a whole bunch of dilithium and it happened to be on a planet where they're still practicing slavery, what do they do? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, officially, the prime directive would have told Pike his job was to not let that was not to interfere with what happened to that kid. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I would tend to think that planet would never be brought into the Federation because I know I've heard and read things over the years that slavery and oppression are absolutely not allowed if you right. enter the Federation. So that planet will never enter the Federation like that. <laughs> That's yeah. darn sure. Yeah. Well, thematically in the or in the story, the prime direction mm-hmm. is there to be broken. I mean, it's there. It's there. It's, True. there, it's there to have a moral dilemma about. But ultimately, yeah. we we expect our captains, and we've seen it so many times. Yes. that they are going to break it when it's the right time. Right. Yeah. The first Good episode point. of this show, Pike was like, "Screw the prime directive." <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, this 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 episode it makes me hopeful that we're going to see more explorations like this. Me too. Um, and more, you know, holding a mirror up to our society because I, I love yeah. that. And I think that's what science fiction excels at. I agree. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, Matt, where can people find more of you? Uh, well, uh, in addition to I'm busy on Facebook on the various group pages or Station Trek or Station Who and the ESO Network. I and Elaine are now writing some articles on uh, Warp Factor Trek. Mm. I've linked them to, through the Earth Station uh, Trek uh, Facebook page. Yeah. Nice. And uh, we're about... Uh, 
seven episodes in. I'm a couple ahead of where it has been published on the site. Um, and uh, it's forced us to kind of take a deeper look at these episodes. I feel like I'm the I'm the best expert at the first eight episodes of Star of Star Trek Enterprise of anybody right now. <laughs> but, we need uh, to talk, Matt, because I love that show. I love that I series. I know. And the, the problem is I find myself comment. It's like, how many ways can I say, oh, they don't use the secondary characters more? Okay, I've, I've yeah. said it so many times. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's exciting. Yes. I remember last time you were on and you were talking about starting this big rewatch. So it's exciting that it's turned into uh, writing review articles for a website. So again, where, where can people find that? It's Warp Factor Trek. Okay. Warp Factor yeah. Trek. Cool. Yep. Yeah. And and look at our Facebook group if, you, if, you, if you're if you driving and can't write that down because um, you guys share every one of them to, to our Facebook group. So that'll yeah, lead so you right. That'll lead you right to it. Exactly. Awesome. All right. And Keith, where, where can people find more of you? Uh, Instagram, Twitter, one day Facebook again. <laughs> I'm in Facebook jail for going on the month, guys. Wow. I, I screenshot it and sent to Keith, but Anson Mount was also locked out of Facebook and had trouble getting back in. Wow. So yeah, I saw you're that. a good company, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> and what about us, Veronica? Feltnerdy.com. Or monkeying around a podcast about the monkeys yep. which uh matt's wife is on with us elaine yes. yes elaine is one of our co-hosts on that and we have a great time yeah if i say so myself she's brilliant at it <laughs> she is. Yes. <laughs> Ela- elaine's great yes. yeah and she does all the social media for it so follow the monkeying around twitter because elaine's always got stuff on there yep <laughs> i have to get on and catch up <laughs> <laughs> all right veronica do you have a closing for us this week let's go okay <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. You can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.